Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we are back joined again by the lovely and talented Peter Spellos. How are you, Peter? Well, the king of the quarantine, I, I, that's a fantastic title you have there. Thank you. I, I used it like one time last year and I got some good compliments, so I just started throwing it in with uh, my intro. I'm, I'm honored to be this evening's jester for you, Your Highness. <laughs> Well, of course, uh, you are in Indianapolis now. Have you lived around this area your whole life? Is this new, newer to you? Uh, no, what's, what's... This is about a year ago, almost uh, a year next week that I'll be out here. Um, I've been doing work out here for the last six years, teaching improv comedy and acting, and I put you know I have an improv company together. And then when the pandemic hit, we went online with the sketch company, and we're producing a weekly comedy on youtube so wow it was um, a matter of adapt or die basically you know when you're when you're flying nine times a year for your business and then it's like no you're not flying anymore so uh i moved everything online and what was really great about it was it it opened it up to more people outside of indiana so i have students from my uh, company in england working with us and uh old friend from uh, New Hampshire who was with me 30 years ago. She's joining the company. So my comedy partner from WABC in New York, um, WPLJ actually, uh, and uh, 40 years ago, we are working back together again. So uh, it was really a, a case of trying to make the best of this. You know, I'm an old man here, pal. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you say I, 40 years. I can't even grasp that. I'm only 32, so I have yet to grasp 40 years. Pretty amazing. I mean, to know someone for that long, uh, the conversations change. You know, it used to be about comedy and girls, and now it's about which stimulus did you see this week? And, you know, so the conversations. Are Where's your pain at today? <laughs> you know, and just wait because you'll have a new one tomorrow. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, you talked a little bit about it, but I've been asking people the first question: how they got through quarantine and how everything went for them, and how they were able to adapt. So how did uh, the big COVID go for you, Peter? Well, you know, I, I am doubly vaccinated and, you know, it went, I was in New York where I was living at the time that it broke. I was seven miles from the epicenter where it broke out in New Rochelle. So it was uh, very much stay at home, go to shopping at six o'clock in the morning when they let seniors in the grocery store. <laughs> and uh, no, no re- really, because, you know, to make sure that, they could go and not be affected by big crowds or, or it was just, it was bizarre. It was like a science fiction movie. I lived through the sixties and the seventies in New York city blackout. This was unprecedented in, you know, panic buying and weirdness. So I just stayed home and made the internet the connection and immediately said, let's not lose any energy with this. Um, and let's continue the acting class and do Friday night play readings, and then Sunday nights we would just hang out. I would open a Zoom room. Anybody who just wanted to, you know, have an adult beverage and chat, that we could do that. So I just tried to keep the community alive. And then last summer, my buddy Les Seller and and Don and Josh Martyr, former students, drove from Indianapolis, put me in a van, and we drove back, you know, with an overnight in Ohio somewhere. Wow. So. And, you know, the way I look at it is they didn't move me out here to kill me. So, <laughs> you know, uh, but it, it's been great. It's, you know, totally different existence from me growing up 
in New York City and then 22 years in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I it's mean, nice. it's slow. I'm surrounded by students. You know, I'm near the hospital because you know that's important these days. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I mean, you you got away from the huge population, so that's less of a COVID risk, and you got your shots. Plus, you got away from the smog in California, so I mean, you're breathing better air too. So, and true, you know, it's it's just. I feel so bad for my friends in, in California, and Southern California, and Northern California. You know the fires and everything, and you, oh, yeah. you know it, when you know how bad it is. When you probably got it in Illinois too. When we got this the fire ash, you know. Oh yeah. From the, from the West Coast, and it just—it was like fog in the middle of the day. You know, the right year in Indiana so far has been um, no tornadoes and less severe weather than even growing up in New York. You know. Uh, so That's good. I, I like it. It's per, it's. I, I, I never would have guessed it would be here, you know. That you know, as Bob Seger once you know saying the famous final scene would probably be here in, in Indianapolis. But uh, I, I could be happier. I got to tell you. Yeah, I mean, Indy's not not a small city. I mean, there's a lot to do and a lot to see. So I think you you found a good Midwestern city to be a part of. And you know, you're right about who's your hospitality, real quickly. Oh. But, you know. And of course, on the flip side of that is they're insanely passive-aggressive, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, but all the people I have out here, all the friends I've made, my students, are terrific folks. I mean, that's that's why I moved out, because I realized there was more people that I loved here than any place else outside of England, you know, from my Transformers room. But I wasn't moving there at 67. That would be a little too much for me. Uh, so... Now you've you know, had you had such a oh go ahead. You know, I, I I tend to ramble, so you know please ask me. That. You had such a, a great career in Hollywood, and gosh, I think I could name off a bunch of films that I have that you've been in. Uh, but Heartbreakers was that's a cute uh, and funny film uh, you had a part in. What was it like working with Sigourney Weaver and the rest of the talented cast? Well, um, two things about that movie. I had done two movies with Love Hewitt, Jennifer Love Hewitt in her childhood. So, you know, um, one Home for Christmas with Howard Essman and Munchie and Munchies with the the Dom DeLuise. But, so she wasn't on shooting that day. It was Sigourney. And it was just terrific working. First of all, all I could think of is Ripley, you know, is the only thing that's going on in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Being a big alien fan. But she was uh, wonderful and elegant and easy to work with and uh, come on I spent the day flirting with her nose to nose oh yeah you know? and uh, and she was just an absolute professional and terrific and you know the conversations behind the camera were, were great too and about you know life and Peter but we, there was a lull in the action and then I turned to her and I said um, can I ask her a question after the actor she said yeah absolutely I said okay in Galaxy Quest, and she kind of rolled her eyes. I said, no, 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 stay with me here. Um, I'm an improv actor. And in that moment in the movie with Tim Allen, you go, ducks, why is it always ducks? Um, did you improvise that? And she went, absolutely, we did it in rehearsal. I said, see, I, <laughs> I, I, I knew that. It just had that ring of you having a moment going, how the hell am I always, always here? Um, so but she, she was terrific. My day on the set with... Sigourney was just a, you know, a dream. Sometimes you work with stars that are, you know, 
less than giving or, or, or less than, you know, open. they're the star. There was none of that pretension with Sigourney. She was, she was an actor doing her job. She was terrific. And, and um, one of my, really one of my favorite moments in, in doing in major motion pictures. Yeah, the only bad thing was you floated too too long and broke an expensive penis. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and by the way, David Merkin directed that film, and I had done two episodes of Get a Life, the Chris Elliott series, mm -hmm. um, for Fox. So when they got called in, they had me um, read for a, a shyster lawyer, a, you know, a, a cheating lawyer. And I read the thing, and it obviously, is, I, I'm really not the, unless I'm a mob lawyer, I'm really not the right thing. <laughs> and he says, will you read something else for me? I said, yeah, of course, David. He says, and can you improvise something? I thought, well, bingo. When they say, can you improvise something? It's like, just put the pitch over the plate. I'll, I'll get this <laughs> Um And yeah, I improvised that scene, carrying the statue and snapping the penis off. And I did it all silent without um, any talking, just kind of, you know, studying the old masters, you know, all that stuff that I loved growing up with, Laura Hardy, Abbott and Costello, and, you know, um, Chaplin, Keaton, all those guys. And I just did two minutes of silent comedy flirting and snapping off the thing. And in the end, in the audition, I, I bent down, I picked it up, I put it in my pocket, and I walked off stage. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... My old friend Tim Wade used to say, there's only eight people in show business and five of us know each other. So, you know, a a after a while, you run into the same faces and people know you can uh, know you can do work. And it was, thankfully, I had known David for these two episodes, so he gave me the luxury of, uh, of trying out for two roles. And you know, like I said, I spent the day flirting with Sigourney Weaver. Next question, please. You know? <laughs> Well, someone else that's really funny and talented you worked with was Polly Shore in the Army Now, which I still hear a lot of my buddies love to talk about to this day. Uh, what was it like working with him before he got shipped off to the military? <laughs> you know, it was two things was interesting. Polly was an, a, an okay kid. You know, I'm old enough to be his dad kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he was very cool on the set. It was obvious that, um, you know, it was Polly's film. And he had a lot of ideas with the director. Um, God, I'm blank on the director's name. Um, he was terrific too. Um, but I spent the day basically working with Paulie Shore, Andy Dick, and me in the in the in the, in the video store, in the, in the audio store. Um, but Paulie was great, fun to work with. Um, I think there's a scene where he wraps around my leg and I drag him through the yeah. store at one point. Um, it was, and we shot at a real you know place. That was a real store look. Some. I forget, you know, it's audio sound location. Um, but again, Paul, Paulie was cool. Paulie was very cool. And it was pre-haircut. So he hadn't got the military haircut yet. My scenes were early in the movie. In fact, the first scenes in the movie. But um, nice guy. I had a good time at the table read. Laurie Petty and I thought we knew each other, but we didn't. You know, <laughs> again, one of those moments where you go, I'm attracted to you, but I don't know how to tell you I don't know you. So I'm not going to, you know. Um, oh, my goodness. But, but, but fun stuff. Um, again, work, working for Disney is always interesting. Um, but I, I thought, what a ballsy move at that point in his career to totally change his persona. You know, 
he's been he was that dude with the hair and and you know Mitzi Shore's son from the comic strip mm-hmm. and, and he just I, I respect him for going you know what take it off um, you know so again uh, great great fun times with, with, with him as well always like and David Allen Greer was on that movie and I got to uh, have a great conversation with him because well, he worked with a friend of mine that I went to college with us, Steve W. James, who had passed away. So we had that connection too. So it was it was a great week of work for me. If I remember correctly. Well, that's wonderful to hear. You've also done a lot of anime as well, which I guess I had I had known about the Digimon, but you've done quite a bit. Yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm a lucky boy. I got to work so much and and on forty different series and. And I'm a handful of Digimon, and I was, I'm the voice of the outlaw star. Um, I did the full season of Transformers, Robots in Disguise, and I play, what do I play? Sagat in Street Fighter. That mm-hmm. always gets people always bring me things to sign like that. I'm like, I'm in a movie five minutes. No, they love that stuff. <laughs> um, it, it, was a, it was a great community of people, too. Um, the voiceover crowd, the, uh, both for acquired animation and original animation stuff. I was very fortunate to be in it. I always thought I was the worst one in the crew. Not as an actor, but these people have far more really training just behind the microphone. My training was with stage and then film and everything. So I was always thrilled to get cast. And I wound up getting cast in the first two series I auditioned for. And they're like, who the blank is this guy? You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was uh, it was just a, a nice ride to... You, you kind of, you know, there's small, small circles, you know, especially that anime was a small, a small country of really, really talented people um, who, who did this stuff. And they, and they were multi tempers They were, they were actor, directors, writers, they, they were doing producers, they were doing so many things on the project. So again, um, I'm just a fat kid from New York City who followed his dreams and wound up having a lot of fun, you know? Oh, absolutely. And being that you had such a great career and played so many wonderful characters, are there any that stick out in your mind as your favorite? You know, there's two sides to that that delicious coin. I mean, the first side is my career doesn't happen without Jim Winarski and Orville Ketchum and Sorority House Massacre 2 working for Roger Corman when I first came out to Los Angeles. Um, Talk about icons of icons. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went on to do so many other things, major pictures, working for John Landis and working for the Wachowski brothers, or the Wachowski sisters, who were back then the Wachowski brothers, who knew the work from 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 B movies. So, Orville Ketchum, by far, you know, it was a couple of the greatest weeks that I had working with Jim Minarski, and, and that bore my relationship with Fred Olman Ray and winding up to the Dinosaur Island, and I did something like. 35 pictures with those guys from them. And then on the on the non-movie side of it, it was American Dreams. You know, I got to be three seasons, 30-something episodes on NBC for American Dreams in the early 2000s. I played Gus the Curmudgeon-y director of American Bandstand, and that was just, that was a dream come true. You know, you could, you can catch me on television Sunday nights at 8, and it was always a dream to be on a series, so that was, um, that was such great times and great people. There's so many talented people. I mean, and we had on the show, I mean, 
I was meeting, and I didn't even know who these people were at their beginnings, but, you know, Usher and Beyonce and uh, a couple of people I didn't know because um, Jennifer Love Hewitt came on the show, and it was a wonderful reunion with her and Wayne Brady, and, and it just had a star-studded cast who came to do the bandstand stuff. So I think that, you know, that's the alpha and the omega of my career. I, I, I got to play and be movies more like you know, a theater company more than anything else. And then I got to do, you know, the major network stuff, which was a blast, you know, you know, stuff I had always grown up watching. And here I am walking on the lot at 20th Century and Warner Brothers and Paramount and Universal going, yep, I guess this is me. It says parking for Pete's Bellows. So I, guess, I guess this is me, you know. So I never lost that sense during all the years out there that I was so fortunate I was walking in in giant footsteps who had come before me, and that to be a working actor at that point, um, you know, I did what I said I was going to do, and that's the best part. Looking back on that time, now I'm doing exactly what I love. I'm back to my roots and doing comedy, and and I get to speak to folks like you and who remember all the stuff that I did that I that I was starting to forget slowly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta have those people to help you along the way. So thanks. It's great being back in touch. Oh, absolutely. And the final question I had is, of course, you got your you're teaching the next generation. Uh, as far as that and anything else, what does the future hold for you, Peter? You know, um, I'm seeing a student tomorrow I haven't seen since 1989. When I taught college, she was one of my collegiate improvisers. So it's really just. Um, doing the comedy with the gang online and, and you know, um, appearing at conventions whenever they'll, you know, they'll start back up. But I've had my share, you know, in the greatest sense of the word. You know, I'm not chasing any dragons anymore. Um, I'm happy to be in Indianapolis. I've done some voiceover work out here um, already because um, people are kind enough to remember that, you know, I like you, that I had a career back uh, 20 years ago and uh, I, I just look to keep doing what I'm doing and teaching more people and and and, and letting people know that even in the dark times like this pandemic you can you can still create you can don't don't give up don't ever get up give up as a famous basketball coach once said so uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing pal and, and, and having fun and, and being inspired That's I guess that's the real key you know, working with the students, I'm still inspired to be a better me, to create uh, better stuff. So um, until I'm um, until I'm exhausted, I'm going to keep going. But, uh, <laughs> I don't see that happening anytime soon. Well, that's all you can do, Peter. And I look forward to uh, coming to Indiana and having lunch with you. And yeah, absolutely. That would be just you know, give me a little notice so I can make sure to block the time. But uh, I'd love to have you down here. Oh, absolutely. I sure will. And uh, I'll have to get a hold of the promoter Dark History Con about next year. This year's booked up, but I think you'd have a lot of fun doing their convention. Oh, I, I, I'd love to, man. You know, it's, let's get the world back to, you know, seeing each other again, and, and I'll make a trip up to Illinois in a heartbeat. Absolutely, Peter. Thank you again so much for joining us again, and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you, too, man. Thanks. I appreciate you calling. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, bye-bye.
Alrighty guys, well we are going to uh, be back actually tomorrow, we're welcoming um, retired Arizona Chief of the Border Patrol, Roy Villarreal, and also I mentioned Dark History and Horicon, which is coming up this October, I'm trying to get to the dates, but I had to go to the Facebook page, for some reason the um, website's not been updated. Uh, but Dark History Con, is, the date doesn't even seem to be on the flyer. Come on, Brian, what are you doing? Uh, October 23rd, 2021, at the iHotel in Champaign, Illinois. There's going to be a lot of great guests. Uh, Terry McMinn was just, uh, was just announced from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Corin Nimick, aka the title character on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I'm actually uh, happy to be picking him up from the airport, so that should be a very interesting uh, trip to Chicago and back. Uh, Tinker Goddess, run by Sage, is going to be back doing uh, tarot readings, and she always sells some really cool things as well. Uh, Joel Robinson, an artist at Rock Rebel Shop. Uh, we got the Art of Barcode. Uh, there's Terry McMenigan. Uh... Yeah, just a lot of great, I believe some, probably some tattoo people might be back this year. Um, uh, there's a medium going to be there, Murder Metal Mayhem, the podcast discussing fine art, classical music, and beauty tips. Not really. They're talking about Murder Metal and Mayhem. Duh. Uh, Judith A. Yates, the very talented, award-winning true crime author is going to be joining again uh, Jeff Gaither, the very talented uh, artist who does some really creepy macabre work. He's done a lot of work for some uh, very awesome rock and roll bands, including Rob Zombie. Uh, also, David Thibodeau, who is one of the few survivors of the entire Waco siege uh, back in 1993. David was with us in 2019. He's a very nice, awesome guy. Uh, Wyatt Weed is also returning. He played the board, one of the Boar Predators in Predator 2. And, of course, uh, John Borowski, serial killer documentary filmmaker, is going to be there as well. And, of course, we'll be out there jamming it up, hamming it up, and all that nah, all that jazz, all that nah, and all that jazz. But we will see you guys tomorrow for Roy Villarreal. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.